listen, I, I'm with Chris on what you've heard already is the one thing you should take away from this, you know, like the whole uh, weekend. Se- seriously, like as he was just speaking, I was like, look, where's my passion level at? Boom, I've let my passion level drop, dude, and you are so deserving of more. And actually, I've, just, I've lived with more passion for you previously. And it truly is the power that will make the gospel go forward. So whatever you identified in your lives, whatever you thought about in your life, in that last talk, I was like, oh man, this is the thing that I felt the Lord just put my finger on. Like, I've, got to, I've got to change to get back into that position of passion that this love is deserving of. Let me just say to you now, that's the thing that you need to take away from this weekend. Take it away and bring it to God and allow his passion to grow in you. Cha- in, in you because it will see um, a different transform if you live passionately. Okay, that said, I think I've got something good to say. <laughs> Let's look at this. Distinctive two. What's the second thing we really feel like go, God wants to sow into us? It's, it's this, trait two. Lives that let no one through the net. And I'll hopefully just spend the next bit of time explaining what I mean by that. But I want to just start with a, start with a story. Now, a few years ago, I was uh, in Lincoln visiting my uh, wonderful in-laws, especially my mother-in-law. She is a fantastic lady. And, um, and I was encouraged by... I meant that. I was encouraged by a, um, a friend, uh, by one of our elders at the time back at the church where we were at, to go to uh, his friend's church in Lincoln. It's called New Life Church. And, um, do you know, I remember... Very little about this church, actually, after being there. I remember nothing about the songs we sang in worship that day. Uh, Only that they had a massive worship band of all races, which was amazing. I don't remember uh, a word of the preach, only that the preacher spoke with great passion. He was really driven by passion, actually. I don't remember any of the words of prophecy or knowledge that were brought on that morning. None of it even though it was clearly a charismatic, joy-filled community. It had all of that going on. I do remember, however, that day, that I felt valued and cared for as a stranger in a way that I'd never felt in any other church before. And I've been in a lot of churches by this time. And I just dropped in for a one-off visit. And the reason for this was that as I went through the church doors, I was welcomed in a way that I had never been welcomed before when visiting a place. It wasn't the official welcome, even though the official welcome team did their wonderful, usual, hi, how you doing, please go this way to the main auditorium where you'll find a seat. But it was as I walked up the stairs into the balcony of this big room where the service was taking place, the thing I remember and stuck with me happened. The worship had already begun. And as I stood at the top of the stairs for a few moments, trying to spot a place to sit, a man in his 30s got up from his seat, which was a little away from me, pushed past a few people who had already assumed the position. And came over to me. Hi, mate. I've not met you before. Are you new here, visiting? Yeah, I am. Have you come with anybody? No, I haven't. I've saved a free seat for you, if you like. Do you want to come with, sit with me and my family? Yeah, that would be, that'd be lovely. 
instantly that awkwardness. You know it, that awkwardness of not knowing anyone when you walk into a crowd who's broken for me. I relaxed a bit. I felt safe. I spent my whole service with David and his family. And at the end of the service, they invited me back for dinner to their house, which would have been rude to my mother-in-law if I had accepted. So I said, no, thank you. I'm sorry, I can't do that. But they conveyed in everything they did a genuine love and interest in me. And it's this which stays with me. When I think about New Life Church, I have warm memories of it. In my mind and my heart, it is a great church. Why? Because of this. Because of what David did in the morning. I want you to stop for two minutes straight away off the cuff. And I want you to reflect. I want you to say, have you, have you done this before? Have you been David before in a service? Would it be something that you think to do in a church meeting? If so, what motivates you to do it? If not, what are the barriers there? And just turn to the person next to you and just strike up a conversation. Just ask a few things around that. Would you, would you be or have you been like David? Go. Two minutes. Okay. Come back to me. Come back to me. We're not gonna we're not gonna take feedback just to, just right now because I know you wanna I know you wanna eat as well as hear me talk today. Bring it back together. I hope you had some good good thoughts, good conversations. Just for starters, there'll be some more questions as we go on through. In um, Matthew 4, 18 to 19, we see the very, very first people, fishermen, begin to follow Jesus. And as they leave their old lives. Jesus, in his amazing way, remarkably yet simply and powerfully, tells them that he wants to transform their lives into, in verse 19. Can you remember what it is? He says this to them, follow me, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, this is a clear picture of the change, the key change that Jesus wants to cause in the lives of those who stepped out and followed him that day. I want you to move from being skilled at catching fish for a living, and I'm going to take those skills you have and make you skilled in your life at reaching into the ocean of people that are out there in the world and catching them up in the love, salvation, joy, and power there is in the gospel. To be a disciple Jesus meant to undergo a huge shift as you followed his life and example, where you would become a worker in bringing others into God's kingdom, to become fishers of men. Question two for you, how do you feel as a follower of Jesus when you hear that this has gone for your life? Have a chat with the person next to you. What feelings, what thoughts does it make you feel when you, when you read this and you apply it to your own life? Two seconds, go. Two minutes, two seconds to be sure. Okay, do you want to come back together? Again, just for time, we're just not going to take feedback. But I would hazard a guess that for some of you, this is not all a positive thing. It's not all an exciting thing. That for some of you, your response may have been a little bit of, like, honestly, of a bit of fear and a bit of, yeah, do you know, I'm not built like that. Or maybe, a, a, I don't know, a response of disqualification. Actually, not, not me. I'm not, I'm not great, actually, with all the stuff that you need to be 
fishing. For some of you, you'll be thinking, well, maybe it's a bit late now. I've been walking for Je- with Jesus for 10, 20, or even 50 years. And I actually, in honesty, I feel a little bit condemned in this area. You know, I've been a Christ follower for, for 17 years now. And I have had all of these responses. And in terms of being a fisher of men, sometimes I've been a, guilty of becoming a little bit lethargic. You know, I've just backed down. I've seen it as for some other people to do. This verse didn't really apply to me and what Jesus wanted to do in my life. Now, I truly want to be a good fisherman, but I believe it when it happens. And I want to put to you today that part of the problem is the way that we have understood what a good man-fisherman looks like in the church. I want to say that we've got uh, an angler problem we have an angler problem. You, you could say that. Hold on. I was very proud. I texted Chris Butland when I came up with this, so please show it the appreciation it deserves. We have an angler management problem in the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is almost good. What's that? Problem. 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 Well, I have more problems than just one problem. I, I should be wary of this, actually, because my, 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 spe- my spelling is not great. And if you do things in, uh, in bold text, then it doesn't spell check it for you, does it? But I wanted to make an emphasis, and I clearly have in the wrong way. Thank you so much. It's nearly as good as the woman of Samaria, Chris. Oh, I was chuckling as I went to work. I didn't sleep that well last night, but I was chuckling. What do I mean from this? Can we just play that? Can we try and play that clip from what I think is one of the most boring films in the world, but it was the only one that I could find that, that really started to describe the, uh, the angler management problem. Like, it's probably still better than Fifty First Dates, though. <laughs> actually, actually, I'm a big Adam Sandler fan. Just like, we, I enjoy him. We like you better, Sam, so don't we? Okay. <laughs> you just hung me out to dry there. You were like, no. Go on, anyway, let's watch Brad Pitt. Such a handsome fellow. There we go, that's enough of that, I think. <laughs> What's going on here? That you have this stand-alone, stand-out character where the other guys gaze on adoringly, don't you, as he applies all of his skills to catching this fish. And looking at him, I'm instantly aware of my own deficits as a man and a fisherman. You know, if I were to try and catch that fish within two swings of my rod, I would have hooked the back of my eyelid and pulled myself head first into the water, hitting my head on a rock, guaranteed. And I'd have to have been rescued by the other guys. Do you know, I think that when it comes to being fishers of men, we have seen the good fishermen as being anglers like this. In church history, we've looked at stand-alone characters and heroes, the great evangelists, great speakers, movers in the spirit, and been told over and over again that to be a great fisher of men is to emulate their style, their skill, their anointing. Do you know that? Have you seen that? And our language in church is often focused on these types of gifts being the best types of gifts for fishing and being fishers of men. Gifts of moving powerfully in the spirit of God. Gifts of being able to preach to the masses and see thousands fall to their knees, etc., etc. You know, it's not that there's nothing to learn from such individuals at all, and these gifts. 
but we need those shifts for challenge. And the picture of such leaders like Smith Wigglesworth, Billy Graham, Jackie Collinger, and what they paint for us of what is possible as we trust in a faithful God, because it inspires us and draws us on with this, with this mighty God who Chris spoke about this morning, who loves us and who adores us. But I believe that holding up great angles of men alone can cause us two problems as well. When we hold these individuals up as the model of what true discipleship and fishing looks like, we can wrongly write ourselves off as failures of God. People will never quite attain the height that God wanted to. And rather than being full of the freedom and the grace that God wants us to live in, we end up wearing our faith like a bit of a heavy burden around our neck. Well, we always feel like we should be doing better, really, if we think about it. And although we talk about grace, we really believe that when we get to heaven, God is going to be a little bit disappointed with us as we walk into his arms, rather than full of praise, love, adoration, and grace of us. Secondly, I think to look at these great anglers alone misses something key that would have been in the mind of Jesus and his disciples when he told them about the switch from fishing to fishing men. See, fishing in the lake of Galilee did not primarily involve using a rod. It was a commercial fishing place where they used nets. And we read just before he called them, he said they dropped their nets as they were going, as they stopped to follow him. They were probably fishing with throw nets from the shore that day. And when you were talking about fishing in big open water, it was a team event with nets, involving one or more manned boats. In fact, if people wanted to catch a really big shoal, what they would do is run side by side, pulling a draw net between them. And as they went round the fish, I told you this was coming, you sat in the front row, they would close in on either side. Look at that until the boats crossed and there would be no more gaps in the net. Who of you would that? Great dinner. (laughs) In the mind of these guys then, fishing was more than anything about positioning yourself as an individual or a team and carefully drawing the net around the fish so that none would slip through the net. The main thing was not letting any of the great catch escape. It was about a team working together, not to let anything slip. And that's what Jesus wanted them to become in following him. When it came to catching men and women who were swimming about in a world caught in sin, judgment, and broken relationship with God. Not some superstar hero angler, but simply a a people who are skilled at positioning our lives and working as a team playing their part, not letting anyone slip through the net and miss out on the riches of Jesus, following his example of how to do this. I want you to stop again and think, it's here, okay? Next, next question. I want you to think about people you know who God has brought into your life and church, who were nearly caught up in embrace, but swam away, and you don't really know where they are anymore. Have a chat with the person next to you again about why you think this was and where you think the key holes 
in the net and the fishing style of the church were. Go. Come back together. Go on. Just one more time. Do you know what? I can think of four uh, to five names just off the cuff as I think about this, where people as God has brought to, to churches I've been a part of or into my life that have come and gone, and I don't have a clue where they are anymore. In each of these cases, the reason is not that they did not hear the gospel. It's not that they did not see great worship. It's not they did not hear prophecy and good preaching and the power of the gifts of the Spirit. It's simply that I and the church had not st- had stopped following Jesus' example in the way that I encountered when I met David and his family. They did not follow Jesus' example of how not to leave gaps in the net in the fishing nets. Really simple example. He did not need a warm, open embrace. Do you know, if you had walked hand in hand following Jesus, you would have seen, and it would have been impossible to avoid seeing, the most open, opening, welcoming, invitational life. You would not have been able to escape from it. He lived a life of constant welcome, warmth and invite to all that he met. As we look at his life, he hung about with sinners. He spent time building deep relationships with his disciples. Took time to defend the adulterous woman. Opened the door to Nicodemus in the dead of night. Pushed through the crowd to Zacchaeus, whom everyone else hated. Let the little children come to him. Did not turn away the sick or the infirm. Fed the 5,000 and on the cross responded to the needs of the criminal. So much of his time, as we see, was spent opening his heart and his life to a variety of people. And even in death, there is an image that we should not miss. I've talked about it before. He died with his arms wide open on the cross, an invite for eternity so that everyone who trusts in his name and his death on their behalf will be saved and welcomed into his kingdom and his house. That is the promise of Jesus, if you don't know him today. That's it. It's an eternal promise. It never changes. It's always there. It's always available. His door is always open. His arms are always wide open, no matter which category of humanity you think you fit into. He is the big inviter. And where people I know have walked away or formed a bad or indifferent opinion of church is because they've not encountered this aspect of his life, of his fishing style, which everyone can emulate when they meet me in the church. Instead, they meet everyone sort of at surface level. Individuals who meet on a Sunday, they have no interest in each other's lives really. Or where people only mix with certain groups, so there are divisions. They only mix with like the like people. Where there's no sign of hospitality. Where people's homes and lives are closed doors. Or they are more concerned with what they can get from the church community rather than give to it. Where they have no space or time for people. So people swim off never to return. And have negative ideas reinforced. This is the gaping hole in the fishing practices of churches and individuals that I see time and time again. 
We stop inviting, welcoming, opening our hearts and lives to people inside and coming into the church. But what stops us? I think not recognising the power of this because we've been told that just the other things are powerism, of being a welcoming church. We don't get that this was where the foundation of so much of what Jesus did and accomplished was that he lived this open, welcoming life. We don't realise the effect it has on people, the power that it had on me as I walked into that church and the, the image and the impact it left in terms of Jesus and Christianity in my life. Sometimes we just get weary. We've invited, but in turn, this has been with the expectation of other people inviting us. And when it hasn't happened, our desire to keep being invitational gives up, dries up. Our energy for it dries up. Our passion for it dries up. Or we never rebound back from difficult times and rebuild it back into our lives to relive that open life. However, I think there are two great hurdles I just want to watch out for today in, our, in just this talk. I think, one, it can be because of unrecognised labels we place on people. Just very quickly, can I have a, have a volunteer? Thanks, Bryce. Yeah, I think you're the just because we've got a theme of Brad Pitt. I was just thinking about which man looked most like Brad Pitt in the church. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was actually just a, I was literally just a second about to mock you, Butters, and say, say, Butters, I know you'd always hoped it had been you. However, <laughs> you're a handsome man. Can you just shout out some labels that we can put on people's lives from the moment we are born? As we grow up, we kind of collect labels, don't we? Badges, the ways that people see us. Can, I just wonder if you can help me out here. I'm going to stick some things to your face. Naughty. Naughty. <laughs> it can be. There we go. What class? Yeah. So subclass. Posh. Yeah. Weirdo. We're still talking about you, mate. Be encouraged. Let's put that there. Popular. Talented or untalented, yeah. Complex, but difficult to be around, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, quiet. Trendy, you're looking at me. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. What about in terms of people's jobs or, you know, things that they do? I mean, like, I, as you go through life, you can just be, you could become a, you know, you're like police, couldn't you? Yeah, unsuccessful, successful. Yeah, probably that. What's that? Lazy. What about, what about this one? We can say, you know, they are foreign, poor, addicted, difficult. What about old? We've got quiet. Parents, young. Right, we've got parents there, young. Depressed. 
you know, they're a leader maybe. You're just you're, you're thinking about the labels, you're seeing them. Anyway, I'll stop there. So, but the point is, listen, labels get in the way. As we, as we, if we'd stuck them onto his face particularly, but as we put these labels on people, as we see people as labels, you know, there's, there's hundreds more that we could put them on. We stop looking at the person, actually. These labels become a mask to the person. And we stop looking at them, and they can become barriers to us inviting those people. I'm not inviting them there. They, they're not like me. You know, I can't speak their language. They, they can make you nervous. You've got to cross uh, a wider boundary, or you're just not seeing them as a person. You're outing them because they are in another group. Do you see what I mean? What did Jesus say? One new man in Christ. Take off these labels. See each other as people right the way through life. Don't let it become a barrier to living an invitational life. Thank you, Brad Pitt. Let everybody give him a round of applause. <laughs> Secondly, I think it can be about our lifestyle patterns, actually. Not being deliberate. We know that it's a good thing to breathe, don't we? But we just don't build our lives in a way that deliberately seeks to change from what we were doing to what Jesus set as the example of how to fish from there. We haven't looked at where we're doing well and been encouraged by this. We haven't reflected on where our lives could be more open and invitation. We haven't thought about what labels we have put on others, which groups we naturally exclude from our invite list. We haven't looked at what we're doing as part of the church community to fish for others in a way that extends warmth and the welcome of Jesus. Do you know, recently I reflected on how well I was doing in this area. Uh, and some aspects I felt like I was doing okay. We were still opening our home after moving to Liverpool for a community group once a week. Uh, me and Becky keep coming back to who we have not had round from church yet and who we would love to and a list of who we feel like we would like to know better. We reflect on this deliberately and we know we know where we haven't had some of you guys round yet. Sorry for that segue. But as I reflected deeper, I realised that we hadn't invited many of the younger guys with no kids round to the church recently. And I think I'd put a label on them. It's not a bad label, but just probably as having too much going on or not really wanting to hang out with a family. I think I'd stop doing what David and his family did, of having a view that the most important people on a Sunday morning were the new people coming through the doors. I'd stopped looking out for them and welcoming them to sit next to me. I could have been doing better with that. And I looked in wider in my life. I'd often invited people to enjoy other people's company when I was living out one of my passions, which is climbing. And I'd realised that I'd closed off this. I'd stopped inviting people along with me when it's such an easy invite for me. Do you want to come? Do you fancy it? Do you fancy coming climbing with me? Yeah, oh, it'd be great just to hang out with you and get to know you better. I'd stopped arranging on my street for guys to come and go out for the, the local quiz night. Do you know, I'd just stopped some of my open life. We'd stopped putting things in a slow cooker on a Sunday morning to eat with our church family and invite newcomers back into our home. These were places where my fishing net of welcome had dried up, and I was losing hope. Now, I was going to give you some questions here, but I just don't think we've got too much time, have we? We've got enough time to really know. You know, I just reflect on these. I'm just going to read them out, just internally. What would you give your life on a scale of 1 to 10 of how well you live in openness? How, how well are you following this? How well are you doing it? What labels, you know, there'll be some areas you're doing great at. Just, just remember that. Don't be all negative. What labels do you think you may have put on people that stop you inviting certain groups into your life? As Jack said, they are pointless. They, you need to get rid of them. What pattern, life pattern changes do you need to make to improve yourself? Where do you need to be deliberate? 
You know, this, um, this weekend is about, is about what people see when they look at us as a family. Although there is difference, there are traits that make us instantly recognisable to the Ashworth, a Clements, a Cowcraft, a CB. It's a very nice nose, by the way, CB. You know, the second DNA trait that we believe he wants to put into our lives as Freedom Church this weekend, the mission he has for us, that makes us instantly recognisable as, um, I don't know what we are, actually. Are we Freedomites? Are we Freedomers? <laughs> you get the point. It is that we openly live invitational lives without borders, like Jesus. That we shape our lives in a community in a way that constantly and warmly welcomes everyone in so that there are no gaps left in our net as a team. That we have a great hall of people for him, so that everyone, no matter what background, has the experience of freedom that I had when I visited New Life Church. Now, they may not remember the preach, they'll be blown away by the worship, although they will be because you're dead. But wow, they were loved. Wow, they were loved. Wow, they were valued and welcomed by the people. You know, Bill Hybels states that a great way to really start to form a church family culture is to have family sayings that we know and take to heart intimately. They capture the core of what we want to be. So I want to introduce Freedom Church's first catchphrase, if I can, in regard to what I've been speaking to today. Does that make sense? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You could have changed that for me. <laughs> yeah, at least you're... Do you know, at times like this, I just have to remember that God loves the humble and knows that he's humble. Like, I, it's really catchy. It's just not what I've got written down on this page. I thought I'd... Hold on. Take me back to the very first slide, guy. Come on, guy. Come on, change it for me. Help me out. Is it? Oh, so I can't place it from there. Do you know what? No, don't, don't put that up now, guys. Not without changing it. I thought I'd done all my embarrassment last night. Never mind. No one threw the net. Everyone say with me, no one threw the net. Do you get what that means? That we love people, that we embrace people, that we fish for people without gap, without labels. Please don't remember that. Please remember the point. Please. I'm pleading with you. Love me right now. Don't put a label on me as... It's not, it's not, even, it's not even that. It's, it's just that I hammered them out quickly like, and didn't, didn't double-check them. I'm genuinely not dyslexic. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. So thoroughly letting no one through the net is obviously what I was getting for. And my final ask of you this morning before we go for lunch, is that you take this to heart. That you speak it over one another. That you remind one another of it. That it gets into your vocabulary. That we live in a way that embraces everyone as we embrace Jesus.